Girlfriends, episode number 112, How to Survive Bringing Small Kids to Mass. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week, we're taking on that perennial topic, how to bring kids to mass without losing your mind. Let's get started. Hey, girlfriends, how are you? Welcome to another show. So happy you've decided to join me here today for another episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. I hope you're having a good week. I'm recording this on Tuesday not as early as I planned to. I got up early this morning. Do you ever do that? Like get up early so you can get stuff done and then lose your time somehow. (laughs) This is ironic after I just did that episode about owning your day. Um, I managed to get a workout in, then I showered, I did some show notes for this show and then got lost in email for a little while. Anyway, it's a little later than I planned to be recording, but I'm trying to squeeze this in before I have to drive my daughter to school. And we're going to talk about bringing kids to mass, that topic that comes up all the time. But a few things I want to kind of update you on before that. First of all, thank you, those of you who reached out to commiserate with me with the fact that Dan was gone and I was complaining about it last week. He's back. All is well. I have my helper and my soulmate back with me day and night. So that part is really good. Um, And others have been emailing, um, some of you have been boxing, asking about Taylor. For those of you who haven't been listening to all of the episodes in a few episodes back and a few episodes before that one, we heard from a listener, Taylor, who didn't mind that we shared her name, who was struggling with using NFP. Then she found out she was pregnant. Then she found out she was pregnant with twins. Then she found out that there's potentially um, some problem, physical problem. Um, There's some indicators that there might be with one of the babies really, really struggling with that inside of a new, new young marriage as a young married woman inside of the church and doing her best to live out Catholic teachings. So a lot of us have been praying for Taylor, keeping her in our minds and in our prayers through these weeks of Lent. Um, And I have not gotten an update from Taylor to share with you all, but I did send her a little note this morning asking if she's willing to share an update. And if she is for sure, I will be sharing it in the coming weeks. But in the meantime, don't let that stop you from praying. Whatever's going on with Taylor right now, she surely can use your prayers. So please um, do continue to keep praying for Taylor. Also, I just got back from Rochester, New York, snowy and cold, just like New Hampshire, but what a warm welcome I received there at the Women's Conference. So wonderful to meet all of the lovely ladies there, including Melissa Hicks, who is a listener of Girlfriends, and her friend whose name, I am so sorry, I am forgetting. Um, There were others, too, that told me they listened to the Girlfriends podcast, so I was thrilled to be able to make some Um, names and faces for my audience here at Girlfriends. It was so exciting to get to meet you all. It was a wonderful day. It was kind of like in and out. Like I went in on Friday evening 
and I was there like 24 hours and got back home. So I was home with my family for all day Sunday, which is how I prefer to do those trips. But then it feels a little sad when I'm leaving because I feel like I just made so many great connections with awesome people. So um, thanks to all of you there out there in Rochester. I also got to meet up with Amy, my friend from the Buffalo Women's Conference, who made the trip with her friend Val to come out and um, hang out for the day and enjoy a conference for once. I think that's so great. I work with so many women who coordinate these conferences and they work so hard. And I often think to myself, when do they get a chance to enjoy a conference or a retreat or a day away? And so I'm so happy when I see that some of them do take that opportunity when it presents them, presents itself. So um, great to see all the ladies in Rochester. Thanks for all all that you did, ladies, and um, looking forward to getting back to Rochester maybe this summertime. I didn't know that Monk's Bread, which is uh, it's a monastery that sells bread, bakes and sells bread, um, and you can you can find them online. And I order bread from them all the time. I didn't know they were based there in in New York, right near where I was staying. So that was kind of cool to be able to see them and um, know where that bread is coming from that uh, my father-in-law especially enjoys. So we're always ordering that as a gift for him. Anyway, those are all the updates. Oh, except for fasting. Last week we talked about fasting and I heard from a number of you with different ideas and thoughts about fasting. And thank you for sharing what's going on in your Lent. I'll, I'll share some reader feedback Reader, haha, <laughs> you can tell I've been in publishing for years. Listener feedback um, at the end of the show. Uh, but what I wanted to mention was uh, my friend Sam Fatzinger, who's also a listener of Girlfriends. Hi, Sam. I know you're listening while, while you're working out. Get it, Sam. You're doing great. Um, anyway, Sam was uh, last week, you know, we were talking about offering up your fasting for different people. And I think at the beginning of Lent, I very selfishly was planning um, to fast and offer up in particular for, you know, people I love, people I know, uh, people that I really care a lot about and people that um, I want to benefit. Right. Um, but Sam gave me a little reminder this uh, <laughs> this past week when I was sharing with her or somebody uh, that I'd gotten in a conflict with that was getting on my nerves and I was tempted to dismiss as just a jerk. And <laughs> Sam said, this is this is uh, she's such a mom. This is such a mom thing to say. Well, I guess I know. I guess you know who to fast for. <laughs> oh, somebody I don't like. Oh, interesting. Um, so experimenting with that and finding that very spiritually fruitful to uh, sacrifice and pray for people that you might have conflict with that you might be, as I was, tempted to just dismiss as a jerk and go on with your day. Actually, we're not allowed to do that. Not supposed to do that. So um, that's one little note I wanted to mention to you in case it's helpful to you. And I've also found, in addition to praying for friends and family and whatnot, um, God's been really good about placing people in my life. And maybe they're always there. And I'm only just now noticing because I've been doing this this Lent. Um to, for me to pray for these opportunities where um, I I feel like, oh, I can I can do something about that. I can help that person. Uh, I can offer up and pray for that person on a particular day this week. And um, some of them come to me through social media, people I know just a little bit. Um, other times it's family and friends that share what's going on with people that they know. And I just find there are all these new opportunities of people to pray for. There's endless numbers of people to pray for, of course, but I'm finding it's really been great and fruitful for me spiritually to be praying for a variety of people, not just praying for myself and my family and, and the people that I, I love and care about. Of course, we need to be doing those things, but 
we also need to be praying for other people and praying for people that maybe it's a little more challenging to um, want good things for. So anyway, I thought I'd throw that out there in case it's the same little wake up call for you that it was for me this past week. Thanks, Sam. Okay, moving on to this week's topic, which is that topic that, you know what, way back a million years ago when I was a dinosaur blogger, this was a hot topic back then, and I still see it make the rounds on the internet every once in a while. It's just something that's not going away. It's something that all parents struggle with. How do you bring little kids to mass? How do you survive that? How do you do it without losing your mind or, you know, wanting to kill the people around you or losing all of your courage and faith and joy in life? How do you do that? I think it's so hard. And so um, before we even talk about this topic, I just want to share that. It's truly hard and it's a universal struggle. So if you are struggling with keeping your kids well behaved during mass, getting through mass with little kids, know you're not alone. Alone and, you know, take solace in it at least that much. But this came from um, listener Lori, who wrote in last week. I mentioned her briefly, asked you to please pray for Lori because she was really feeling some discouragement. She sent a, um, a fairly long email. I won't read the whole thing because I want to get into this topic. But um, know that, um, first of all, Lori is a mom of three ages three and under. So you know where she's at, right? And um, she got a nasty comment from a nasty person after mass one day. So um, this is what she wrote at the end of her email. She said, in the root of my heart, I believe she was right. Oh, this, this breaks my heart. I'm so sick of the church. I don't belong here. I don't have the energy to drag my kids to mass. I don't have the energy to hush my daughter when all she wants to do is sing to Jesus during mass. I don't have the energy to fight anymore with their behavior. My kids aren't bad kids. They're fairly well behaved. I don't want to come. And this lady just confirms why I don't feel welcome anymore. I do want to give it all up and just use birth control because it would be so much easier. I don't want to get up and drag my family when the closest church is 30 minutes away. I'm so sick of praying and feeling nothing. I'm so sick of not hearing the homily because I'm too busy corralling. This lady's comment got right to the heart of my motherhood. She made me feel very small and terrible about myself and my family, and I can't seem to bounce back. So yeah, any advice, any anecdote of your own experience is welcome because I am about ready to take a break while my kids are small and I am tired. I googled to see what I could find and the church seems very divided on the topic. Yeah, I think it is. I am all ready for people to make snarky comments about my family size in the next three years, but I am not ready for other Catholics to make snarky comments when I am clearly trying. Lori, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry you're feeling this way. I'm so sorry you're feeling discouraged. Um, know that you're not alone in that struggle. Know that others experience it in exactly that same way. And including myself when my kids are younger, we all have those times when it just seems like everybody else has it so much easier. Why are we why are we doing things the hard way? Why are we why are we struggling through this, right? I, I hear you and I feel you and I'm going to be praying for you. I'm not going to tell you it's easy to get through. I'm not going to give you some magic solution because there isn't one. But I, I can feel from your words and your description of your family that your heart's in the right place. You want to do the right things. So I just want to be a voice of encouragement for you. Um, so before we get into... Um, this whole topic of how to handle your kids at mass. It sounds like, first of all, Lori, it sounds like you're doing a great job of doing that. So you don't so much need the advice of how to um, survive with your kids at church. But the first thing I want to say is you do need advice for how to deal with nasty people. <laughs> which I think we all do need. And unfortunately, we need it in our own church sometimes. That's sad, but true. And, um, you know, 
taking other people's nasty words to us and, and holding them close in our hearts and allowing them to fester and burn and poison us is exactly what the evil one wants us to do with them. He wants us to be discouraged. He wants us to be desperately, mortally wounded by other people's thoughtless and inconsiderate, selfish words and actions. And yet we need to do better than that. We need to rise above that. We need to get past that. And I know it's so hard, but we can't let nasty people make our decisions for us. We can't let nasty people, and I'm not just talking to you, Lori, I'm talking to all of us because we all run into nasty people in church or otherwise about our families or about our faith, that we can't let those nasty people decide for us how we're going to practice our faith or how we're going to parent our children or how we're going to live out our marriage. We can't let that be the case because that's what Satan wants. He wants you to to just say, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to live my life. Now, imagine this. I'm going to live my life so that nobody will ever criticize me. Hmm. What would that look like? Because I, I can't even imagine it. I, I think anybody is going to people are just like that. The world has fallen and broken and messed up and wounded. And it's going to try to wound you sometimes. It's going to happen regardless of what decisions you're making. I mean, you know, I can just imagine um, being tempted to you know, leave the church and um, then you'll experience criticism from people inside the church, maybe, you know, well-intended and with your best interest at heart. But there, you know, there are always those moments where we feel discouraged and where we feel like giving it all up. And I know I've experienced that through my parenting. And um, it, a lot of times it is because of some outside feedback you've gotten, whether it's from your own family or from your own church. And I so relate, Laurie, to what you're saying about I'm prepared for criticism, but not from you know people in my own church. I feel you and I hear you because I've experienced that, too. And I had that exact same feeling of no, 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 not you. You know, I even had a priest once make a really cutting remark about my family size and I just wanted to die. I wanted to cry. I wanted to give up. I thought, gosh, you know, what are, what are we supposed to do? Uh, you know, we can't even get a pat on the back from the people who are supposed to be on our team. So discouraging, so, so difficult to, to get through those moments. And yet I want to encourage you to try, Lori. I want to encourage you to just bring this to prayer. And I know you said you're sick of praying and not feeling anything. Um, but I, I want to encourage you to maybe approach your prayer a little bit differently. Maybe just spend some time sitting in God's presence, whether it's, you know, sitting in a quiet room by yourself or going to a church, going to adoration without feeling like you have to pray and ask for things because God knows your heart. He knows what you need. He wants to heal you. He wants to help you. He wants to lift you up and give you grace and give you strength. So this, you know, give him the opportunity to do that just by sitting and being receptive in his presence. That's how I, I really feel like you should be approaching your prayer life right now, because it sounds like you're trying. It sounds like you're struggling. It sounds like you're doing a lot and then feeling like you're not getting anything back from it. And that's so discouraging and exhausting and depleting. It's going to rob you of the joy you're meant to have in your family life and in your spiritual life, too. Not that it's all hearts and roses, but inside of the struggle, we are supposed to have real joy in, in knowing we're doing the right things, in knowing we're doing God's will, in knowing we're making progress for ourselves and our family toward heaven. So you are supposed to have that joy. So the fact that you're lacking it in, in so many parts of your life right now, Lori, um, really, really hurts 
for me to read and, and I'm sorry for you. And I, I just want to encourage you not to stay there, not to allow that to be the last word about what's going on with you physically and emotionally and spiritually right now. So um, Girlfriends Community, we've got somebody to pray for here for sure. We've got Lori to pray for who's really struggling, um, not just with bringing her kids to mass, but that does bring us to this week's topic. So let's pray for Lori in the coming week and um, really just ask God to, to fill her with his grace, fill her with his love, help her to feel his love inside of those really difficult and sacrificial things that she is doing, that she's choosing to do inside of her marriage and family life, that making the hard choices, ask God to give her some encouragement and to, to lift her up inside of those, those choices that she's making that are very difficult and sacrificial. Sometimes we just want somebody to recognize they're difficult and sacrificial and appreciate it. And, you know, it sounds like Lori's getting very little of that. And sometimes we all feel that way. Um, I'll never forget the day when my two oldest kids, I don't know how, the, when they were older and old, not old enough to know better, but old enough to start resenting the fact that they were homeschooled. And we got into a conversation about it and I was trying to explain to them all the reasons why we chose to homeschool them. They were really struggling with kind of transitioning to high school, working out their credits, and they just felt resentful of the entire thing. Like it shouldn't be this hard. And I'll never forget the two of them, like, uh, it felt like attacking me, but I don't think they meant to do that. Um, just turning on me and saying, why did you do this to us? And I never felt more discouraged and more disillusioned in my life because homeschooling my kids was like the hardest thing in the world. It, it continues to be a really difficult, sacrificial decision that I've made and continued to make and have to recommit to, you know, sometimes day by day, but certainly year by year. Uh, because it's really hard to do and to have somebody throw that in my face like you're doing it wrong, you shouldn't be doing it, um, just really discouraged me to the point where I did want to give it all up. So I completely relate to that feeling, Lori, that you're describing um, when you're feeling like something you're doing that's really hard and you're trying your best and really honestly feel like, hey, I deserve a pat on the back for this or at least somebody saying thank you or at the very minimum, not anybody criticizing me for doing it, right? So I understand that. I'm going to be praying for you, Lori. And I want to encourage everybody to pray for Lori to feel um, a, a sense of confidence in the decisions she's making and for God to give her a real feeling of how much she is loved and how much her sacrifice is worthwhile and the right thing to do. So we'll be praying for you, Lori. So that was the first part about dealing with nasty people. <laughs> Don't, if you don't have the courage to fast and pray for them, I'm not, maybe you're not there yet. Um, but for sure, don't allow nasty people, don't allow outside criticism to question the decisions you're making that you know in your heart are the right ones. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, just from there, I do want to talk about the topic of children at mass. Um, like I said, I, I think you're doing all the right things, Lori. It's just exhausting you. Um, and so this first tip that I want to share might apply to you, Lori but I think it applies to a lot of people is recognize that you don't have to do it. And by that, I don't mean you don't have to go to mass. You do have to go to mass and, you know, barring illness or some other catastrophe that's keeping you from getting there. Um, for sure, during certain stages with uh, certain more challenging than others children um, in that, you know, 12 to 24 month period where they're uh, very physically capable and not really so much capable of a sense of uh, reverence at mass. 
I have left that kid at home. I've gotten babysitters. I've used my mom for babysitting in the past when we lived closer to her. And there were whole seasons where Dan and I switched off which masses we were going to and the other parent stayed home with the trouble child. It's a great opportunity for you to sometimes maybe even get to mass by yourself and have a quiet mass by yourself. You're totally allowed to do that. There's nothing inside of church teaching that says you have to bring your small kids to mass. You do not. Um, So I think it's important to give yourself permission to make that choice if it's what's best for your family. Um, Definitely, you are allowed to do that. And I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves that that's an option. And it can get us through a tough season. It can get us through a time when, you know, if you're at a point where you're feeling so discouraged, you want to stop trying. Well, start with not bringing the small kid to mass that's causing you so much trouble and exhaustion. And, um, you know, that just remember that you don't have to do it. That's not something you have to do. Sometimes we have it in our head like, well, this is what the good Catholic families do. And so many of us see them too, right? In, in the next pew over, the perfectly behaved children where they've got dozens of children and they're all, you know, perfectly dressed and their hair is perfect and they're folding their little hands and closing their eyes and praying. How come our kids don't do that, right? I know, I've felt it before. But um, know that you don't have to do it. There is no church teaching that says you have to bring small kids to Mass. And so you can consider other options. You can consider um, other ways around it, at least for a season. For sure, we've done that in our family. And it blessed us. And it blessed me personally and spiritually to sometimes be able to go to a Mass where that was not an issue. Because, you know, sometimes, especially if you're bringing young kids to Mass week after week, Mass gets associated with just a trial and a struggle and, uh, you know, just this enormous, exhausting thing you have to survive. Well, that's sad. If that's all it is some weeks, I mean, that's fine. And, you know, you're there and you're making your best effort. But it's sad if that's what Mass becomes to you. So look for opportunities to um, be able to attend Mass without that going on. And uh, for sure, know that you don't have to bring small children to Mass. Um, I also want to recommend uh, sit up in the front. I know this is counterintuitive, but sitting up in the front has always worked for my family. Just it, it gives the kids, I don't know, they're looking at something other than the backs of the heads of the people in front of them. And they can see what's going on at Mass, especially once they're at an age where you can talk to them about what Mass is, what the priest is doing. Then they can kind of follow along and um, it makes it much more engaging for them. So I know the last thing you want to do is sit up front if you've got somebody who's always misbehaving in mass, but uh, give it a try. I'm telling you, you can always take that kid out if it's a problem, but um, give it a try because you might be amazed at how sitting up front changes your child's attitude toward being in mass when they can actually see what's going on. Because, you know, imagine just being in the back of a church as a little kid, not knowing what it's all about, what's going on. Your parents are shushing you and all you see are people around you. And you just hear this faraway voice, you know, speaking words you don't understand. Why would you be well behaved in that situation? So give them an opportunity to learn about the mass. Um, so, you know, sitting up front is is one part of doing that. Um, another thing that my husband and I did for years was we would lock the kids in the pew. And by this, I mean <laughs> with our bodies. We would have um, Dan on one end and me on the other end, kind of like bookends and the kids in between. And we would allow whatever child it was that really needed to be moved 
moving around more during mass, perhaps, we would allow them to move inside of that space. So, um, yeah, a little distracting when, you know, the two-year-old is crawling all over you or whatever with for the brothers and sisters. But um, it, it really made it more manageable. Like, you don't, you don't say you have to put your butt in this seat and not move for an hour. Um, you can let them walk back and forth in that space, locked in by their parents. And um, another thing that really worked well was with certain ones of our kids, um, we made sitting next to me a privilege. Like you earn the privilege of sitting next to mom with good behavior by being quiet and being still and, you know, praying. And uh, that really worked with some of our kids who considered that a reward. Isn't that sweet? Uh, other kids, not so much. <laughs> but I do remember it working with certain ones of our kids where um, like either I or Dan would threaten them with you're not going to be allowed to sit next to mama if you're you're behaving that way. You know, that's a privilege to sit there and you have to be appropriately behaved. So besides locking them in, you might consider some something like that, kind of flipping the script and telling them it's a privilege to be here in mass. And and we actually did that successfully with a number of our kids where there was no deeper shame than having to get brought out of mass, you know. Um, and, and you know your kids' personalities. You know what, what will work. Some of them consider it a great reward because then they can go and run around the parking lot or in the narthex or whatever. So um, you know what will work. But work with that, what your kid might consider a punishment or might consider a reward for good behavior and, and use that. Um, I also want to mention the idea of asking for help and list some help. You might bring... Um, you know, if you're not yet at the age where you have older kids who can be pitching in and helping out during mass, you, you might know an, a family with an older girl, especially, but boys can do this too, um, who might be willing to sit with your, your family during mass and, and help with, uh, you know, an unruly kid or um, keep an unruly kid happy by, you know, sitting on someone else's lap for a change rather than mom and dad or whatever. So you can, you know, you can look for opportunities to, um, and list some help like that. I've seen this work beautifully. And, you know, our parishes are meant to be communities. And so instead of um, old ladies, <laughs> it's so sad. It's always old ladies that we're talking about in these stories about who's being nasty. But I've, I've seen and heard other kinds of people being nasty, sometimes moms of other small kids who have a sense of pride about their kids' behaviors or whatever, um, you know, hurting other people with their criticisms. But um you know, old ladies can can help. If if you have an older woman in your parish who's a friend of your family, maybe sit near her. Um, I, I find that kids really kind of like that opportunity to be with somebody different. If you know, if, if your baby doesn't mind being with somebody other than mom, but like a toddler, sometimes will consider it kind of a treat to sit with somebody different at mass, and um, so that can be a real opportunity and enlist that kind of help. And and you know, don't be afraid to ask for that kind of help. Um, you know, or, you know, don't be afraid to, to ask your community for that kind of support. I think the more that we admit that things are hard inside of our communities and ask one another for support, the, the stronger our communities become and the closer bonded we can be. And the, and the more we can feel like we're in this together, which is what community is supposed to be all about. So um, part of your gift to a community can be asking for the help that you need, asking for the support you need. And it doesn't have to be like, you know, some big daunting thing, but maybe sitting near somebody, you know, and it can naturally happen that way. Um, okay. So then we get to the question of, do you bring stuff? This is something parents have asked me forever. Like, do you bring toys to mass? Do you bring food to mass? You know, um, I know that 
for for many years, we didn't bring food of any kind. We just thought, you know, it's an hour. They'll be fine. Even though food can be a great distraction. For sure, I've nursed babies in the pew. And if your baby takes a bottle, you can you can do that. I know I've brought sippy cups for a little bit older kids, too. Um, but sippy cups are terrible because they make so much noise in the pew when the kid throws them. <laughs> Don't ask me how I know this. <laughs> but, um, you know, so do you bring stuff? Uh, you know, I think that's sort of an individual decision. But I would err on the side of bringing less stuff. Um, you know, they have those like mass bags now. You can buy like a little mass kit. It's kind of like uh, there are a few different kind on the market where it has like a little prayer book, a little stuffed animal of a saint or whatever, um, and some appropriate kinds of mass toys that kind of turn your kid's mind toward Jesus and the church and his saints and prayer time, which I think is great. You know, um, I did used to do that. I would have a little... A book um, or a few different books that I'd keep in a bag that my kids would only read at mass and they were books about saints or books about the mass and um, you know and and you decide what's age appropriate. You know your kids better than anybody else. I'm not going to tell you at what age they're not allowed to have that kind of stuff anymore. But, um, you know, I, I really, I, I'm very open-minded on the topic. I, I guess I don't care for it if I see a family come in and, like, lay out a banquet for their kid and all these, like, matchbox cars and coloring pages and whatnot. But if there's a quiet activity that's going to help you get through the mass with without just feeling completely exhausted and depleted and, and turn it into a giant negative experience for you and the people around you, well, do it then, you know, just be, you know, discreet about it and be aware of the fact that it, 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 it could potentially be a distraction for people around you. Um, cute babies are already a distraction. So if you're adding cute babies plus food and, and toys that make noise and that kind of thing, yeah, probably not so much. So, um, you know, that's up to you whether or not you're bringing stuff and what kind of stuff you might consider appropriate. Um, and, oh, I also want to mention, Lori asked if I had any anecdotes that might help her. Well, I have a terrible one to share with you about, um, gosh, I don't know how old my kids were, but they were all pretty young at this point. And I was at mass by myself. I don't know how that happened or what was going on, but I was by myself. And so I took the baby plus the toddler to the back of the church when I felt like it was out of control, right? Left my big kids sitting up in the front pew. <laughs> so here's the cautionary tale about sitting in the front pew. Um, I left my big kids sitting up in the front pew and went to the back of the church with the baby and the toddler thinking, okay, I can trust my big kids to sit here quietly until I get this situation under control and they know where I am and it was fine. Um, and then from the back of the church, I'm like, you know, keeping an eye on my big kids in the front pew. I see my two biggest boys who were probably like ages six and eight at the time, I want to say, um, get into a, like a fist fight, an all out brawl in that front pew with no parent there to intervene. And I'm like in the back of the church holding a baby, you know, wrangling a toddler with the other hand. Oh my gosh, what a mortifying experience. <laughs> it was so bad. And I felt so helpless in that moment. Like, what am I even doing here? Watching my kids get into this fight. I don't even know what it was about. 
I didn't care what it was about. I was so angry at my boys who knew better, were old enough to know that that was a terrible, terrible, terrible choice. Um, and yet they made it anyway and totally embarrassed me. I, I think I like ran with a baby and a toddler. Oh yeah, that's not going to be a distracting scene at all. Um, up to that front pew to like break up that fight. Again, oh, not a distracting scene at all. And then ended up dragging like multiple kids to the back of the church that couldn't behave. Oh my gosh. So with that said, though, that was a horrible situation. That was not the norm. That did not become the norm. What does become the norm inside of families is older kids set the tone for younger kids, and it does get easier. I want to say that for sure before we end. Um, I want to tell you that it does get easier. And for sure, we've witnessed it inside of our family. It was really hard when um, we had just like two or three little kids and we were struggling to get all of them to behave properly in mass. Um, but once they got it and were old enough, I, I found that our younger kids who we had after that were more likely to just copy their big brothers and sisters. They looked to them for their cues about how do we behave here? What are we going to do here? And so once you've accomplished it, and not with perfection in any way, but once you've accomplished the basics with your older kids, they really do a great job of setting an example for your younger kids that your younger kids are more inclined to follow than you just telling them, you know, sit down, be quiet, you know. Um, and also one last note that I want to make before we wrap up this topic is that children are capable of a sense of reverence and they're more capable of a sense of reverence I think than we sometimes give them credit for you know if you're going around all the time saying how your two-year-old your three-year-old your four-year-old can't sit still at mass do you know what they're hearing you they know <laughs> they know what you're saying um, and I find that a big part of it is just setting expectations for how they're going to behave in mass. And I don't mean that that's going to work perfectly. Like you, you expect them to sit quietly during mass and they will. No, that's, it's not going to work in some magic way like that, but they are capable of a sense of reverence. So talk to them about what's going on at mass. Talk to them about why you're there. Tell them from the time when they're very little, like this is God's house and have that sense of reverence yourself. Let them notice that you behave differently in mass than you do in other places and allow that to be an example for them. Use, you know, use a hushed tone when you're talking to them, be gentle, be quiet, whisper in their ear about what's going on at, on the altar at mass, especially if you're sitting up front, this can be very effective. You know, let them know what's going on and say, now the priest is doing this and now he's going to read from the Bible and you know now he's going to teach us about God's word. I, I think children are really capable of stepping up in a way that sometimes we fail to give them credit for. If we set the bar real low, that's where they're going to be. So I do want to encourage you to know that, first of all, it will get easier. I promise you it will get easier. And, you know, you can make accommodations in the meantime while it's really difficult for you. Um, but then also know that your your kids have a right to be there. If you decide as a family that you're going to be bringing young kids to mass, you have every right to do that. And your kids have a right to be there. They don't have a right and you don't have a right to completely disrupt mass. Of course, you know, be reasonable about that. But I don't even need to tell you that. I think most parents are, you know, generally very aware of when they're disrupting other people. If your kid's all out screaming, yeah, 
take them to the back, take them outside. You know, it, you know, the same way if you're having a mega coughing fit in the middle of mass and you don't want to be a distraction, you'd step outside for a minute. That's normal human behavior. I think most people don't need to be educated about that. Um, people do need to be educated about, you know, being a community, being a welcoming church uh, to families and making accommodations for little noises or distractions here and there for sure. Um, but you know, know that you and your family have a right to be there and that kids are capable of a sense of reverence about God. It might only last 10 minutes and then it's over for that week, but give them that opportunity to grow. You know, if all you ever do is tell them to sit and be quiet and don't talk to them about what it's about, don't take that opportunity to teach them inside and outside of mass, then, you know, of course they're going to be poorly behaved. There, there's nothing in it for them. They don't even know what's going on. They don't appreciate it. So um, know that your kids are capable of a sense of reverence and even at a very small age, I, I've always found that sometimes my kids really move my heart with how much they're able to worship God and give him praise. So allow them the opportunity to do that. I know this is a hot topic and I know lots of people have advice and ideas and crazy, wild, horrible stories to share. I would love to hear your stories. And I know Lori would, too. So share them with me. You can email me, Danielle at DanielleBean.com. Also, send me your tips. Send me your ideas. Send me stuff that I didn't talk about that you think needs to be mentioned when talking about surviving, bringing young kids to mass. You can also connect with me on Voxer. Um, there's a link in the show notes of every episode of Girlfriends to connect with me on Voxer, an easy way that you can send me a voicemail or just record on your phone and email it to me. I'd love to add your voice to a future episode of the Girlfriends podcast. Hey, do you like what we do here? Do you appreciate having access to Girlfriends every week? Is it helpful or encouraging to you in your everyday life? Well, if so, there's a convenient way you can say thank you for the Girlfriends podcast and encourage me to continue to record it. Patreon is a simple system that allows you to pledge your support for this podcast, show your appreciation, and encourage its production week after week. At patreon.com forward slash girlfriends, you can make a pledge in any amount. Even just a dollar per episode makes a real difference, and it's a simple way to show me that you want me to keep on doing what we're doing here at Girlfriends. I want to thank our newest supporter, Mac, on Patreon, and if you'd like to show your support like Mac did, please go to patreon.com forward slash girlfriends and find out more. Thank you so much. I also want to thank Ascension for partnering with me to bring you this podcast. Go to ascensionpress.com to see all the awesome stuff, all the free, free, encouraging, inspiring, entertaining, educating resources that you can learn more about your Catholic faith with. Stuff from Jeff Cavins, Father Mike Schmitz. There's podcasts. There's video content. There's books. There's parish study programs. Check it out at ascensionpress.com. Okay, I've got feedback to share from a number of you. I'm not sure I'm even going to get to it all before I have to drive Gabby to school. Um, but I did get a nice note from Kim. I want to give a shout out to Kim, um, who sent in her thoughts about um, fasting. She's been going through a tough time in her family life. So please pray for Kim and her husband, who's um, been having some health issues, and it's been a real burden upon her family. Um, but Kim shared this thought. She said, in all of this uh, I have found two things. One, as I heard on another Catholic podcast, we pray for humility, but we don't want the humiliations that will humble us. So true. I am learning that the, 
I'm learning through this that all things work for good for those who love the Lord. Very good. That's beautiful advice from Kim. She Then she said, too, God has poured out blessings in the form of people, like a school parent who's donating his removal truck and other families who have helped pack or made dinner for us. Oh, yeah, they're, they're uh, making a move. Um, I will also have a hilarious story for you after next week's podcast about kids mucking up in mass, but this is quite long enough. So thank you, Kim, for sending your thoughts, and we're looking forward to your, your crazy story about kids in mass. It's going to be an encouragement to all of us that we're not alone in that struggle. So thank you for that, Kim. And we look forward to that. Um, then I heard from Megan about the all important topic of bed sheets. Remember, I told you that we upgraded to a king bed. And so I went out to buy sheets and I was overwhelmed by sheet choices. Um, I ended up getting a set of sheets that I think are pretty good. I kind of like them. Um, and then I got another set that I'm trying out this week, and I'll, I'll give you the update on that. But um, Megan, uh, she she gave me some great advice here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna check this out when I'm at the store later this week. She said, um, she said you don't have to read this on your podcast, but I'm doing it in case it helps somebody else who is overwhelmed in the sheet aisle. She said, we also upgraded to a king bed about six months ago, and it's heaven. I seriously cannot even feel my husband move around, get up, or anything, which I like. Better sleep for me. Anyway, regarding the sheets, it sounds weird, but the best pair of sheets I found is from Walmart, and they are under $25, even for a king. The kind we've got now are the 1500 thread count Egyptian quality microfiber deep pocket bedroom sheet set. Wow, that's a mouthful. So 1500 thread count Egyptian quality microfiber deep pocket bedroom sheets. Okay. The thing I absolutely love about them is they do not shrink. Yes, this is key. Oh my gosh. I've had such a problem before with expensive sheets that I could barely get them around the mattress once I wash them. And these have never had an issue. I'm not wrestling with the fitted sheet. This was really the selling point for me. Plus I like the way they feel. I actually prefer them to cotton. Anyway, as always, love what you do and can't wait to start listening to your new podcast for Catholic Mom. Oh, great. I love that you mentioned the Catholic Mom cast because it's coming. It's almost there <laughs> in a couple of weeks. Okay, I'll, I'll keep you guys posted. But thank you for the sheet advice, Megan. I'm going to check out those sheets because you're so right. I spent a lot of money on like designer sheets thinking it's going to be high quality. And maybe it is, and maybe I don't wash them correctly or whatever. I don't need my sheets to be, you know, high maintenance for how I care for them. I need to be able to wash them and dry them. Um, and I've had the same thing where all of a sudden you can't even fit this thing on the mattress anymore. So frustrating, so annoying. Like, you know, putting sheets on a bed isn't a boring and annoying enough chore as it is. And you have to add that frustration to it. So thank you. I appreciate that. And I hope others will also. All right. Um, then Kristen shared, uh, let's see, about generosity. She said, I really enjoyed the show on generosity. My mother made her final profession as a secular Franciscan this past December, and she has said so much of what you were saying over the past few years as she was going through formation. Apparently, the generosity of spirit that Franciscan spirituality fosters is contagious because my dad is now in formation as well. I love that. Um, I had to laugh when you said, take the chore or task nobody else wants, because it reminded me of something that happened to my husband early in our marriage. My husband used to be a chef professionally, and early in our marriage, he began volunteering at a local soup kitchen. When he first arrived, the woman who coordinated volunteers told everyone he was a chef, which caused drama with the retirees who volunteered as cooks because they were worried he was going to take over their area. I love that. That's so cute. He tried to defuse that by volunteering to wash dishes, only to find out that the two men who regularly washed the dishes were homeless men who felt they earned their keep that way. 
My husband then told the woman in charge to give him whatever work no one else wanted, which turned out to be organizing the paperwork. That was definitely not his strong suit, but he did it to the best of his ability. I joke that he's the only person who could cause drama among soup kitchen volunteers, but I admire how his servant's heart really shone through. I love that story, Kristen. Thank you so much for sharing it, because um, I think that's a beautiful example of what we're talking about, right? You're a professional chef and you're going to go help out in the kitchen at this, you know, homeless center. Of course, you're expecting that they're going to want you to cook, right? Well, being humble and being generous really might mean taking on a job that you're not so good at just because it's the one that nobody else wants and being humble in the acceptance of that um, or, or being humble in accepting a job that you're going to kind of stink at and you're not going to get a lot of glory for doing. I, I love that. So um, I think that's great. And then finally heard from listener Melissa Hicks, who I mentioned at the start of the episode, whom I met in Rochester. Um, she's written a few different times, but she said um, she was just listening to an old episode where Natalie requested good podcasts for her husband to listen to on his commute. And she had some suggestions that she often shares with her husband. So first is Catholic Stuff You Should Know. It's a weekly podcast featuring four 30-something-year-old priests in Denver and Rome. We are big fans of the show. And we even went to Father Nathan's parish to see him last summer when we were vacationing in Denver. That's very cool. All right. Word on fire. Bishop Barron. OK. Bishop Barron has such amazing insight into our faith and the new evangelization. We learn something new every episode. Yes, I've listened to that show many times. I really enjoy um, Bishop Barron's insights. I do find that it's not light listening, though. I find that, you know, if you're just looking to listen to something and kind of tune out a little bit, that's not the show for you because I found myself like, okay, wait, what was that? I need to, I need to hear that again. You know, we're, we're really, I feel like what he's sharing, maybe I should be um, taking in, in written form so I can read carefully and slowly and um, truly understand the meaning of what he's sharing. But um, so yeah, it is a little bit heavier in that way, but in a good way, in a really helpful way. Catholic in a small town. I've mentioned them before. Mac and Catherine are very fun to listen to. Yes, they've been been podcasting for so many years and um they're doing a weekly show they didn't always do it weekly now they're doing weekly and you can support them through patreon um catholic in a small town check it out they're just a joy to listen to they're just sharing about their life and about their faith as it naturally you know happens in in their life as parents and um as employees and you know among their their extended family and friends and whatnot um just a really just a fun couple to listen to and really funny it always makes me laugh all right then while you were folding, she said, you mentioned this podcast recently and I subscribed. Catherine Boucher is great. I'd recommend that Natalie and her husband listen, especially to the episode called Family Meetings with Philip Boucher. I shared this episode with my husband and we got a lot of great ideas from it for our family. Yes, I listened to that episode, too. It's great, especially if you're a young family, and you're trying to figure out what you want your family structure to look like. Um, if that's even a foreign idea to you, having structure to your family life, uh, I think having a little bit of it is really beneficial, especially um, early on when you've got a lot of little kids. And um, yeah, Catherine and her husband, Philip, shared really, really well in that show in a way that was encouraging and practical. So if you're looking for that, they talk about family meetings inside of that episode. But the title of her show is While you were folding. So check it out. And um, thank you, Melissa, for sending in those suggestions. If you have suggestions for podcasts, not just for men, but for any of us to be listening to, we would love to hear from you. Email me, Danielle at DanielleBean.com. Connect with me on social media or send me that voicemail. You know I love the voicemail. All right. 
Okay, now before I have to go, I just want to mention real quick quick where I'm going to be in the coming weeks. I'm leaving this week for Los Angeles, going to be at the Los Angeles Religious Ed Congress. I'm going to be at the Catholic Mom Table, Catholic Mom Booth. If you're around, come out, come see me, come say hello. I'm going to be there um, some of the time with Lisa Hendy recording podcasts. Uh, probably not girlfriends. We're going to be recording some episodes of Catholic Momcast. But I do have in mind to maybe roam around a little bit with my um, my microphone that plugs into my phone and maybe make some recordings of some different people. There's always awesome people to talk to there. And it might be nice for me to get a little bit of some little clips to share with you in the coming weeks. So I'm going to be in LA. Um, so that's later on this week and, um, be back early next week. So looking forward to meeting some of you there. And, um, then I'm going to be in Nashville on March 24th. I'm going to be speaking at the Catholic women of faith conference in Nashville, Tennessee, never been to Nashville, really looking forward. I think they have a lot of women that are going to be turning out for this event. The numbers just keep growing. So I'm looking forward to a big crowd of faith filled women and really sharing sharing the message of their feminine genius and the teachings of St. John Paul II with them there. So if you're anywhere near Nashville, come out, say hi. I'd love to meet you in person. All right. That's all the time that we have for this week. But I want to thank you for taking the time to be here with me today. I really appreciate all the ways that you give me feedback and share your advice and your prayer support for others who are listening. I really do feel like we have a community here of listeners and that's so meaningful and valuable to me. And you're a part of that community, even if all you're doing is showing up and listening. I'm so glad that you're there. It's so encouraging to me that you make the time to connect with us here at Girlfriends week after week. So thank you for that. Thank you for being here. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a DanielleBean.com production. Know your worth. Find your joy. Find your joy.